Now, our Bible reading this morning comes from Philippians, from Philippians chapter uh, 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 to 11. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page uh, 1179, page 1179. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And just as we preface that reading, we're going to preface it with uh, the third commandment. Um, So the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then we come to read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We trust that God will help us as we hear his word and apply it to our life. Well, we're going to look for a moment or two at this third commandment. remember uh, chatting to a chap one time who was struggling to keep his spending under control, and he told me that whenever he went to the cash machine, to the ATM, he uh, was always asked, you know, the cash machine would ask you, do you want to see your balance? You know, and he would always press, no, I definitely don't want to see my balance. And, and, and there's that sense in which to be confronted with how little he had in the bank at that point it would have been uh, just too much for him. He didn't want to see the trouble that he was in. And sometimes I think the commandments can be a bit like that for us. We, we, we don't really want to look at them because we're sort of brought face to face with the fact that we're in trouble and how far short we fall. Maybe if you think a little bit like that, then you might breathe a a sigh of relief as you get to the third one. You think, well, misusing God's name. NIV says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Or the authorized version, thou shalt not take the name of thy God in vain. And you think, well, maybe at least, you know, in this one, I, I... I I don't tend to swear, and and if I do swear, I don't use God's name at least. Well, it's true, of course, isn't it, that that it is a rare thing now in this world, in this culture that we live in, for people not to take God's name in vain in the sense of swearing. If you think of how that has changed over the last number of years, in the 24th of December, 1696, a jury in Scotland found a student by the name of Thomas Aitkenhead guilty of, as they said, cursing and railing against God. And he was hanged for, for blasphemy, the last person in the, 
British Isles to be uh, hanged for blasphemy. And that's not, not, a, not a good thing. But, but it, it, it provides a remarkable contrast to where we are today. In, in 1995, one of the uh, editions of the Oxford English Dictionary had an entry under Jesus which said this, colloquial interjection, an exclamation of dis- dis- uh, surprise or dismay, and then in brackets, the founder of the Christian religion. Imagine that we've gone from hanging people for blasphemy to having the name of Jesus as secondary to its purpose as a swear word. So our culture has changed immensely. But if we think that, that, well, that's all this commandment is speaking about, we're going to see, I hope, that, that this commandment speaks about much, much more than just what we would understand to be swearing. Let's remind ourselves of the purpose of the commandments. Traditionally, Christians have said that the law of God has three uses. First of all, it's there to curb human sinfulness, so it shows us what God is against, as it were, and warns us that there are consequences to sin. Secondly, it is a mirror that exposes our sinfulness, so as we look at what God says, we realize, I'm not like that. I I don't measure up to what God says. I must need a Savior. And in that sense, it sends us to Christ. So it it curbs our sinfulness, it exposes our sin. And then thirdly, as Christians, it provides a rule for us to live by. So once we've had our sin exposed and gone to Christ, then it's a guide to show us how to live our Christian lives. It it is the family rules. It, It shows us what it means to be godly. And of course, the very structure of where Exodus 20 comes in the Bible story underlines this for us. These commandments are given to a redeemed people. We've said that on many occasions. It's not that God comes to the people in Egypt and says, I've got a suggestion for you. Here are 10 commandments. You're on trial. Let's see how you do. And if you do well in these commandments, then I'll rescue you. Not at all. He rescues them. And to a rescued people, he gives the commandments so that they would know how to live as his rescued people. A couple of other things to say, just in terms of of getting our heads around commandments generally. Alistair Begg makes three really important points on commandments. And he says this, they are spiritual and therefore they need to be interacted with from the heart. Remember that Jesus makes that very, very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He shows that it's not just an external uh, obedience that is required, but a heart obedience as well. There are positive and negative aspects to the commandments. We we, we, uh, often think of the commandments as being negative, and many of them are couched in negative terms. But where there is a negative practice to shun, there is also, therefore, a corresponding positive practice to pursue. So, for example, with the third commandment, it's not just about not misusing God's name. It is also about treasuring God's name. And then the the last thing that Begg says is each commandment uh, forbids not only the sin, but the desire and the inclinations to that sin. So, for example, when uh, the commandments speak about murder, We know that Jesus goes on to speak about hatred, and therefore it's not only uh, the the, the act itself, it is the inclination and the desire that lies behind it. Well, with those little introductions, let's say a bit more about this commandment. What are we going to say about the Lord's name? Well, 
a, a number of things. First of all, we're going to say that God's name is a name that is important. It's a name that is important. What, what, what's important about a name? Well, it doesn't take as much to work that out. A name is much more than just a, a title. It goes deeper than that. In, in Bible times especially, and in some cultures today, of course, a name was tied up with someone's character. Parents chose names that spoke of what they hoped the child would become. So, for example, Joseph is told by the angel to name his child Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. There's, there's an aspect of, of his name that was to speak of what he was going to do. Sometimes people's names changed after they encountered God. Abram became Abraham. Saul became Paul. As if God was saying, that old name is no longer suitable for you. The change in you is so radical that this name is going to have to come instead. And it also involved a person's reputation. So, for example, whenever uh, the builders of the Tower of Babel were thinking about their whole project, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So, so there's the, the idea of what a name represented in the Bible. It referred to someone's character and who they were, and it also spoke about their reputation. And then very often, those are the sorts of things that we still associate with the idea of somebody's name today. It, sometimes it carries authority. So stop in the name of the law or, or the Lord Lieutenant who comes in the name of the Queen, for example. So the Bible can say that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. The Bible can say, hey, the psalmist can say, I will praise your name forever. You're in your name I will hope for your name is good. You see, there, there's something there about the character of God, the reputation of God. And we can pray, of course, in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And to say that we hope in God's name is to say that we're relying on who he is. We're relying on his reputation, on what he has done and who he is. So, so God's name is, is a name full of God's importance. So what does it mean then to misuse God's name? Well, that's our second thing. The, the old translation of taking the names, name of God in vain is helpless here. A vanity in old language is an empty thing, a weightless thing, a thing that has no consequence or significance. It's to make something irrelevant. And, and one writer called David Wells, I remember reading this about 25 years ago, it made a big impact on me. He spoke about the weightlessness of God, as we were trying to say with the children. If a feather rests on us, we will hardly notice it because it's almost weightless. And he says that that's what we, we're like with God in our world. God rests on the world weightlessly. This is what he says. It is one of the defining marks of our time that God is now weightless. I do not mean by that that he is ethereal, but rather that he has become unimportant. He rests upon the world so inconsequentially as to be not noticeable. Now, we see that in all sorts of ways, don't we? God resting on the world in such a way that it's almost inconsequential. But it's true for God's people too. For example, in our worship, God says in Isaiah 29, 
The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Here were a people who were going through the motions in worship. They were just turning up and, and doing what they had to do. And, and so the, the name of God rested on them lightly. Sometimes we, we, we see it in our, our thinking. We allow the reality of God to sit really lightly with us. We allow him to be of no consequence to us in our day-to-day lives. Isn't it true that that those of us who've been Christians for years can still go through vast chunks of our days without really forgetting that, without remembering that God is there at all? We've allowed him to become of no consequence. And uh, as we said earlier, if if there's a sin being prohibited in the commandments, there's also a positive duty to pursue. And that means that we need to be, God is saying, we need to be people who are actively honoring his name, who he is, thinking about him, praising him, living in the light of his reality. You know, we're people who, who live in a world that sort of despises routine, don't we? Aren't we? And yet, Daniel, you remember, prayed three times a day. What was he doing? He was living in the midst of that really difficult, challenging culture of Babylon. And three times a day, he was actively taking steps to bring himself into the presence of God and to remember that God's name means everything to him. But it goes deeper still. And part of that is, is whenever we look at the history of the people of Israel, they were surrounded by a people who, who worshipped other gods, remember? And most of those other gods were connected with something. Uh, agriculture, the, uh, fertility, and usually their names were connected with that. So you called on one god or another to get what that God sort of specialized in. And sometimes you see that in, in sort of folk religion and, and, you know, talk about saints. There's the saint of travelers or the saint of, of uh, uh, farmers or the saint of whatever it might be, and, and, and that's the saint that you pray to. Well, it was like that in, in, in the ancient world. There were, there were gods who sort of specialized in various aspects of your life, and you used their name to get the thing that they could give you. And then you remember that, that God appeared to Moses in the desert when Moses was on the run in the desert of Midian. He was looking after the sheep. He comes to the burning bush, and, and Moses asks God's name. Who shall I say sent me? And God said to him, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. It's the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And it's translated as Lord with capital L, with capital letters in our Bibles. And that name's really quite mysterious because it's not, if you like, a name that speaks of anything useful, that anything that God does. It's not a name that like the other gods around the area, that implies that, that God will help you with your crops or, or, or with your battles or with your army. But that's the point, you see. This God, our God, is not a God that you use to get what you really want. He, he is what we're to really want. 
He's the prize. In giving us this name, I am who I am, he's saying, I can give you nothing better than I myself. And yet, yet, what do we often do? We often come to God and we look to him to give us what we really want. We, we sort of think like pagans. We say to the Lord, it's, it's really nice that I've got you, I've got peace of mind, but what I really want to have is this happiness or this health or, or this wealth or this comfort or this situation resolved. Can you give me that? Because that's what I'm really after. You, you know our illustration for this. You, some of you have heard this before. Some of you haven't. You think of a couple out for a meal on their anniversary, 25 years. And, and, and the wife looks into the husband's eyes and says, darling, hasn't it been great? T- tell me again, why was it you married me? And the husband, well, he stops for eating. And, and the, he, he, uh, he says, well, uh, you know, I remember seeing you and you, I thought you looked fantastic and you have a great sense of humor. But you know, I don't think I've ever told you this before. The, the, the real reason I married you is, is because of that company that your dad owns that now I work for. And it, it's, 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 it's a great job. It, it's all worked out so very well, hasn't it? Well, you can imagine how the meal goes on from there. But, but, but what that husband is really saying is, well, you were okay, but what I really wanted was this job. I was using you to get what I really wanted. Now, now that's exactly what God is saying we must not do. If you use me to get what you really want, he's saying, you're missing the prize. I, I'm not a God that you use like that. I am the prize. My name means that there's no one higher. There's no one better. Why would you use me to try to get something else? And one of the effects of sin in our lives is that we believe the lie that there's something out there that is better than God. And, and so we believe that and we try to use him to get what we're after. And if we do that, we're misusing the name of our God because we ought not to use him at all. He, he is our prize, you see. So our calling then is to, to treasure his name because he, he is the one who is above everything else. It's really saying, is he your, your everything? Remember, men building the Tower of Babel, let us come and make a, a name for ourselves. You, you see, we're, there's two paths through the scriptures, isn't there? There are those who are making a name for themselves, and there are those who are hallowing God's name. What are we doing? Making a name for ourselves or treasuring the name of the Lord. Well, what about our motivation? What would help us in this? Eh? How, how, do we, how do we put ourselves second and God first? How, how do we treasure his name above everything else? Well, it, it brings us to our last point, and a name that's been given up. Let, let's think about this. Remember what our reading said. Here we are in, in uh, Philippians, about the Lord Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. You see, Jesus, before he came to this earth, he had 
a name. He had a reputation, he had authority, he had power, and what did he do? He, he gave it up. He, he didn't consider it something to be grasped, to be held on to, but he gave it up and came down to this world. And while he was on earth, well, did he have a name? Well, he had a title. At times, of course, people give him honor. But, but as time went on, those things became stripped away from him. He was, as the prophecy says, despised and rejected of men. And it came to the point where the Bible says that they twisted a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head, and they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. And even as he hung on the cross, those who passed by mocked him and hurled insults at him. You see, Jesus had a name, and he gave his name up and allowed it to be trampled in the dust. He allowed himself to be taken to the cross so that we might live, so that our name might endure. Does that motivate us just a little bit? Does that help us day by day to say, God, I know that that today is not about making a name for me. It's about honoring your name. One of the things that's happening just now at this very moment, is that God is allowing his name to be misused. You ever thought of that? You, you think of, of, of God who is present in every conversation, every casual throwaway mark. He hears it. How many times today will God hear his name misused? Even just in the sense of taken as a swear word, never mind treat it as something of weightlessness. God is allowing his name to be misused. Now, if you hear something said about you, don't you want to clear your name? Don't you want to to set the record straight? How, How does God deal with that where his name is being abused and trailed through the mud of this world? Why does he not put an end to it all? Why does he not step in and bring about that final situation about which we just read where the name is given to Jesus that is the name above all names? And the reason is because today he's allowing his name to be misused so that others might recognize his name, who he is what he has done, and they might bow before him and begin to honor him. That's the first way that that we honor God's name. We we come and we, we grab hold of the salvation of which his name speaks. So, taking God's name in vain, treating it as a light thing, treating him as of little consequence, that's not the way for the people of God. This commandment says, you've been rescued from that. We're called rather to treasure that name, to treasure him because he is our prize. Let's pray together. Lord, help us not to misuse your name but to treasure your name in all that we say and do and think and to spread your name abroad. Praise the name 
of the Lord. Amen.